0: This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. We're just getting started right on time, but uh, you'll catch up. It's all good. Also, we'd like to welcome all of the folks who tried to get into David Asherix. You know, the overflow effect is a wonderful thing. So. <laughs> Clearly the Lord meant for you to be here, and not over there. Uh, my name is David Kim. I think for those of you who heard last night, I'm a corporate executive, uh, but really the way I live my life today is as a Bible worker focused on witnessing to the wealthy, worldly and well-educated. And as, as you'll see, this is a real mission field. Uh, for those of us who are in the Three Angels message and have that understanding. So, I just thank the Lord for each and every one of you being here. Uh, It is, uh, and and I hope, and I pray, in fact, that this will be a rewarding and valuable seminar for you. Um, So, before we go any further, let's just open with a word of prayer. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you because we want to share the gospel with this underreached group. Lord, each of us here has people in our lives who can only be touched through us. And Lord, we want to be best equipped and best available to you for that sanctified use. Lord, please be with your humble servant and anoint my lips that everything shared here would be directly from you. And please send the Holy Spirit to be upon each heart, each person here to receive, to have understanding, and to have conviction about what they ought to do with this information. I thank you and I praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we get going here, I just wanted to start with a few questions for you. First, I'd like to know how many of you here are students in uh, university or or high school, graduate school, you know, any kind of student, okay? So, it looks like about a third, about a third of the group here. Now, how many of you are in uh, the workforce? You know, some way, well, okay, all right, great, wonderful, about two-thirds. And uh, just call out what fields are you in or what areas of study? Are you pursuing? Pharmaceuticals? Pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals. Wonderful. Education. Aviation. Aviation. Like a pilot? <laughs> okay, pilot mechanic. Great. Great. Law. Law. OK? Good. Petrochemicals. Petrochemicals. Are you an engineer? Uh, oh, OK. Wonderful. Medical? Medical. Wonderful. Health. Sorry. Public health. Public health? Very good. Banking, investment banking, mortgage Mortgage banking. Okay, great. Accounting, Accounting. very good. Dentistry, welcome. I brushed my teeth this morning, have no fear. (laughs) I floss every day too. (laughs) Apparently less than 5% of people, you could perhaps verify this, less than 5% of people floss on a daily basis, which to me is just really you know, but what I have to say is I wasn't always this way, so I had a little bit of a conversion experience. <laughs> good, so there's a, a, a good cross-section here. How many people have in mind someone or a group of people who you'd like to be able to reach using some of the methods that we discuss in this seminar? All right, just about everybody. Good. I'd like to just quick, I know we, you know, there's always less time than there is material, but I would like to get from you a little bit of um, what specific questions do you have that you'd like, that you'd hope that you'd learn the answers to in this seminar, and I'm just going to write on the whiteboard here uh, just just a few, but uh, raise your hand if you have a question you'd like to see answered in this seminar. Anyone? Yes, in the back. How involved do you get before broaching spiritual subjects? Good, good question. Yes. How do you create a need where they feel there is no need? Create need. Yes, how do you create a need when they feel there is no need? Great question. Yes? Is it possible to have an uh, impact on the wealthy and well-educated if you are not wealthy or well-educated? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. What about me? <laughs> Thank you. Other, other question, yes? How to get the conversation started? Yes, over here. What are the signs that tell you maybe you're passing pearls before swine or you're you're not being put over there community? Yeah, how do you know when to say when, right? Pearls before swine. Yes? How do you approach someone who says, who has, ha- who has said no to you? Okay. No for an answer. Question mark. Yes? How you those people, uh, why need God? I'm good enough. Great. Here. Yes. Maintaining values in secular events. Over here, I think I saw a hand. Yes. How do you explain it? Great. How to explain faith. Yes, sir? How to speak to somebody about religion without losing your job? How to keep my job. Yes, good question. Why me? Why me? Should I do this? Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. What about atheists? Any others? We'll take one more here. Yes. So how to witness to family. Witnessing to family. All right. You can ask questions as we go, but I I always find it helpful to understand where all your heads are at, why you're here, what you're hoping to accomplish. And I have good news for you that we will address all of these questions over, over the course of the three sessions. I will also say, however, that some of these will not be addressed until the third session. So this is a, a, a seminar which builds one session upon another. Now I understand I've been to GYC many years in the past, never as a speaker, always as an attendee. And I understand how coming to GYC is like being the kid at the healthy candy store. <laughs> and there's so many seminars to choose from. I understand that. And so I would begrudge no one for picking and choosing and sort of stepping in and stepping out. But I think it's only fair for me to share with you that this is a cumulative seminar and many of these questions won't be answered until subsequent sessions. So just, just to be clear on that. Uh, any questions? Did that make sense? All right. Great. So as we get going, in this, as we get going in this uh, seminar, uh, I want to talk about what we're going to do, the, the structure of what we're going to go through. And it's three parts. Each one of these bullet points is one of the sessions. The first part, I'm calling the need, And it's really about the mission to this group. I, I, I don't know. Some of you may be aware. But this group, of course, we know from experience, but even Spirit of Prophecy tells us that this is, frankly, the most difficult group to reach with the Gospel. But I will go through a lot of both Bible and Spirit of Prophecy here, and I'm hoping that by the end of this session, you will have a clear vision in your mind that this is an important group to be witnessing to. And it's not only important But as far as Spirit of Prophecy is concerned, it is the most prioritized. And you'll see why I say that. Uh, The second second session called The Method, I will introduce the framework and methodology for how to do this effectively. And uh, there's a, a virtuous cycle or a flywheel that we'll talk about, a framework of how this works and how it will not only impact others but impact your own spiritual walk with the Lord. And then the third piece here is the experience in which I will share very specific, very tactical examples of how I have brought faith into the workplace. And we will also have some opportunity to do a little bit of practicing. And we'll also do Q&A in that session. So one, two, and three. That's what we're going to be doing today. All right, so who are we talking about? The wealthy, the worldly, and the well-educated. I put those big W's up there because I just want you to know any time you see WWW in this presentation, it is not World Wide Web. (laughs) It is the wealthy, worldly, and well-educated. Okay? Let's talk about each one. The wealthy. If you just define it, there's lots of ways to define the wealthy. One of the ways to define the wealthy is um, the top 20%, which is roughly, if you make $100,000 or more per year as a household, you can call that the wealthy. And there are roughly 60 million Americans, let alone in the rest of the world, but there are roughly 60 million Americans who fit into that demographic. That's that's 24 million households at about 2.5 people per household. That's about 60 million Americans which is about the equivalent of the entire population of the UK or of France or of Italy. So if you just imagine this demographic, it, that demographic alone is the size of a medium-sized country. So it's big. It's big. Now, Seventh-day Adventists are actually underrepresented in this demographic, believe it or not. I know we have a reputation for being lots of doctors and dentists and and all these other things, and and certainly there are those of us in the Seventh-day Adventist church who are in this demographic, but actually we are underrepresented in this demographic. In the overall population of the United States, there are about 250 people per one Seventh-day Adventist. Does that make sense? So for each one of us, there's 250 people out there who are not Seventh-day Adventists. Someone's getting a phone call. All right. In this demographic, for every one of us, there are over 700 people out there who are not Seventh-day Adventists. Does that make sense? So we are vastly underrepresented in this population. Only 7% of Seventh-day Adventists are in this category. And so we have our work cut out for us the worldly. I just put a, a snapshot of many media outlets, magazines. I think it speaks for itself, right? You have, this, worldliness is not something you can measure on a census, right? Worldliness is not something you measure on a bubble sheet that you fill out. Are you worldly or not on a scale of one to ten? But we know that, this, that our world, our society is is consumed with beauty and with consumerism and wealth and getting ahead and this spans demographics forget the 100,000 and up that we just talked about. People who make very little money in this world also aspire to these same things whether it's GQ, The Rob Report, The New Yorker, Cosmopolitan Magazine by the way, I had to look for a lot of Cosmopolitan magazine images before I could find one where I could actually put it up here and not frighten myself, but then cover up all the side subtitles which all have to do with things that you already know about if you've ever been to a grocery store. But this is worldliness. This, this is the, the ocean that we swim in. Right? Amen? Okay. And then we have the well-educated. I, uh, I went to Stanford, and so some of my imagery here will, will come from Stanford University. I know they lost yesterday, so. Anyone from uh, Michigan here? No one? OK, a few people from Michigan. Uh, it was a good game. <laughs> but there are, there are um, what is this? You add these numbers together. It's 42% of the United States have a bachelor's degree or greater. All right, 42%. This is people over age of 25. Okay, so my kids are not included in this number yet. All right. Now, uh, in the Adventist church, any guesses as to whether we're similar, over, or under that percentage of the population? Yes, we are over. Yes, we are over. Instead of 42%, we're around... Well, for the, the, this 40% here, masters or professional plus bachelors, we're actually at about 45%. So we're a little bit overrepresented in this population. But then when I was looking at the data, I thought we're overrepresented in terms of education, but we're underrepresented in terms of income. And education and income always go together. You ask any demographer, and they will tell you, education and income are like peas and carrots. They always go together. So what's going on here? Any guesses? Uh, good comment, but student loans don't apply to your income. They, they drain from your income. Yeah. Yeah, that maybe, maybe. Yes? Because so many of our educated pastors and teachers. Yes, so there's a, there's a career mix effect going on here. One is that the areas that we go into as a people tend to be thing, I mean, not always obviously, there's the whole healthcare thing that we just talked about, but a lot of people are, are going into the ministries of, of various sorts or, or teaching um, at one of our schools and that kind of thing. So that affects the mix. That's a huge impact. And what's the other big impact? Any uh, statisticians or demographers or aspiring demographers out here? I'm sorry? Well, if, yeah, if you don't have as much to begin with, there's less to pass along. That's true. But that's, I don't think that's it. I'm sorry? Yeah, so that would apply to the first comment about lots of us appla- uh, choosing to go into different fields that, that aren't as remunerative. We do have That's exactly it. We have a lot of retirees. Now, it's not just because we live longer, though. It's also because our church is aging. Our church is aging, and it's dramatic. And it's not just because of the baby boomers. It's disproportionate to the effect that you would expect from the baby boomers. And so we should think about, and I'm sure there are people in Silver Springs, Maryland, and wherever else they think about these things, thinking about the fact that our church is aging and what that means for the future. Hopefully, it will mean nothing because Jesus will come soon. Amen. All right, so that's the worldly, the wealthy, and the well-educated. These people are very difficult to reach. We talked about it before, but I'd just like to share a couple biblical verses here. Uh, We'll first turn to Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 to 10. 19, verse 7 to 10. Psalm chapter 19. Verses seven to ten, and just because of time, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it uh, for us here. Nineteen, seven to ten. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So we're familiar with this verse, and it's saying that God and his ways and his law and his righteousness are sweeter than what? The honey and the honeycomb, right? So let's now turn to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7. And again, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and read this. And the Bible says, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. Did you catch that? The satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. And what what did we just say is sweeter than the honeycomb? The word of God and God's ways and His righteousness is more to be desired than the honeycomb, but the satisfied soul loathes. That's a strong word, loathes the honeycomb. And I think we see this borne out in our society. Do you agree? Yeah, amen. They loathe the honeycomb because they can create heaven on earth for themselves. They can create their own version of what they think heaven is on earth with their means. And so they don't feel any need for heaven. I think someone asked a question about They don't feel any need for heaven, apparently, as you'll see, because they can create their own little bubble around them where everything is finely calibrated to the way that they just like it. Amen? Does that make sense? Does this resonate with people? Good. All right. We see this difficulty in the Bible. We see this difficulty in the Bible And I've got three verses here, which I'll just go to quickly. First is the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 27. And this is a familiar verse to us. Mark chapter 10, it's verses 17 through 27. And rather than reading the entire passage, which we're, we're familiar with the rich young ruler, yes? Right? He comes to Jesus. He's asking, how does he get into heaven? And, uh, and Jesus says, well, you know, keep the commandments. And he says, what else do I have to do? And he says, go sell all your possessions, right? And follow me. Well, in, uh, in Mark v- chapter 10, verse 27... it's not verse excuse me it's not verse 27 yes thank you 22 thank you but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions right so you see right in the bible someone walking away from the lord walking away from jesus christ he's looking straight in his face and walking away because of why because of his great possessions right and, and God says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. All right. so we've got our work cut out for us. We have King Herod. It's a second reason why these people find it difficult to come to the Lord. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6, verse uh, 14 through 29. We're not going to read the whole thing. This is, uh, this is the beheading of John, right? You remember... Uh, uh, Salome, uh, the daughter of um, Herodias doing her dance and uh, John being beheaded. Now, did Herod want to behead John? He did not, right? Why did he not want to behead John? He liked John. He actually listened to John, and we see this in this account in Mark. But he, uh, he went ahead and beheaded him anyway in verse 26 of Mark chapter 6. And the king was exceedingly sorry yet, because of the oaths, and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Right? So why did, he, why did he behead John the Baptist? Against his own will. He didn't want to look stupid in front of all of his important guests. Because of the prestige, because of his status, because of where he is in society as king of the Judean-Galilean area, he did not want to look weak. Because he had just promised this young lady up to half the kingdom. And what? You can't behead some itinerant so-called prophet? And so that's the second reason. The first one was possessions. The second reason is prestige and status and the social trappings of being wealthy, worldly, or well-educated. And then the third one is King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 And this is where Paul is testifying to King Agrippa, and he's telling him his testimony. Acts chapter 26, and in verse 27, Paul gets to the punchline. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you what? You almost persuade me to be a Christian. And what I read from this is he was he was he was actually compelled he was compelled by what Paul had to say. But he said, "Not now. You almost got me there, but maybe we could talk again later." And so, the third one is just procrastination. Right? People don't have a sense of their mortality until they're dead or about to be dead. Right? And so, whether it's possessions Whether it's status and society or whether it's just plain old procrastination, it is very difficult to reach these people. Now, I want to share with you, thank you, John, John Millay, talented singer-songwriter, you should check him out. He referred me to this vision of Ellen White, the Wardleberry vision. And what she says is that she 's in a, a wagon party. a bunch of people, young people, young men and women, were riding out in wagons around the city and just outside the city to harvest whortleberries, which are like blueberries, but they 're red inside instead of white or yellow. i didn 't know that either until I learned about this: whortleberries. and so She's going and everyone's just sort of lackadaisical, they're enjoying the day, they're having a good time, they're really laid back, they have no sense of the mission that they're on, which is to harvest these wortleberries. And then once they get there, she talks about how painstakingly she goes through the bushes, finding just that right one that is ready and ripe to be picked, and how she worked all day and and put all these just beautiful wortleberries in in her bucket. And she gets back to the wagons where everyone was gathered, and everyone else had just been sitting around eating their doritos. Right They're just eating their picnic, having a good time, And she's saying, "What are you guys doing? Are you kidding me? There's so much work to be done." In fact, let's, let's see. Uh, and, and then they come up to her, then they come up to her and they look, and this is what it said. So this is uh, Ellen White. I then took my berries and went to the wagon, said I, "This is the nicest fruit I've ever picked." And I gathered it close by while you have wearied yourself searching at a distance without success. Then they all came to look at my fruit and said, these are high bush berries, firm and good. We did not think we could find anything on the high bushes. So we hunted only on the low bush berries and we have found only a few of these. And then, so let's, let's figure out what, what is she talking about here? She interprets this vision for us. She says, I am sure that the dreams I've had of late teach me lessons, that there is a neglect to get the better classes to become interested. While the poor classes are not to be neglected, neither should the higher and more intelligent classes be overlooked. I have been in dreams instructed, and who instructed her? God himself. I have been instructed that we overlook the fields close by to us to labor in faraway fields. And we pick very inferior berries when there are larger and a better quality of berries already to be gathered. And we are making a mistake in this type of labor. These are strong words from the spirit of prophecy. She goes on, There has not been the effort made that there should have been made to reach the higher classes. While we are to preach the gospel to the poor, we are also to present it in its most attractive light to those who have ability and talent and make far more wise, determined, God-fearing efforts than have hitherto been made to win them to the truth. This is not ambiguous, is it? It's pretty, pretty clear that the spirit of prophecy is in favor of this kind of work, in fact, is exhorting us and encouraging to this kind of us to this kind of work. Now, why do we neglect this ministry? Well, she calls it out, out of fear and a lack of faith. On whose part? On our part. On our part. There are intelligent men and women whom we are afraid to work for. Why? We fear repulse because we don't want to be turned down. Right? That's what she's saying, right? Amen? All right, fearing repulse, but earnest efforts should be made for the higher classes, coming close to their hearts, visiting them, and using special wisdom to win them to the truth. There should be no pushing, no sharp contention, but leading their minds out to investigate. We could do the rest of the seminar just on this passage. She actually hits on the very elements of the methodology that we're going to talk about for the remainder of this time and the next couple sessions. Um, but you can see just tuck these thoughts into your heads and you will see these themes come back to you as we go through this material and then she goes on elsewhere one reason why efforts have not heretofore been made for the higher classes as I have presented before you is a lack of faith and real courage in God so not only are we afraid for ourselves we're actually not faithful in God we think that the wealthy, worldly, and well-educated are too difficult for the Lord to reach. Can you believe that? These are strong words. These are strong words. Yes, ma'am. I thought when I heard that, it's fairly common in my experience for someone who has something to feel you're going after their heart from raising their self their motive. Hmm. Yeah. Great question. Great question. Have you read of Heta in my slides? <laughs> Did you get a copy? We will talk about that. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you who couldn't hear, her question was, is, uh, rich people think that you want something when you try to get close to them. So how do you deal with that? We're going to talk about that. All right. Now she goes into the need, right? She's just told us that we're totally dropping the ball. Now she goes into the need of why we need to do this. There is a work to be done for the wealthy. They need to be awakened to their responsibility. They have a responsibility as those entrusted with the gifts of heaven. They need to be reminded that they must give an account to him who shall judge the living and the dead. The wealthy man needs your labor in the love and fear of God. Too often he trusts his riches and feels not his danger The eyes of his mind need to be attracted to things of enduring value. But worldliness is a great barrier. So today God is seeking for souls among the high as well as the low. There are many like Cornelius, men whom he desires to connect to his church. Their sympathies are with the Lord's people, but the ties that bind them to the world hold them firmly. We talked about King Herod, right? It requires moral courage. For these men to take their position with the lowly ones. Special effort should be made for these souls who are in such great danger because of their responsibilities and associations. Special effort. This has resulted in their neglect, as we've said. We talk and write much of the neglected poor. Should not some attention be also given to the neglected rich? Have you ever heard of the neglected rich before? Neither had I, but Spirit of Prophecy tells us about the neglected rich. Many look upon this class as hopeless. Thousands of wealthy men have gone to their graves unwarned because they've been judged by appearance and passed by as hopeless subjects. Have you ever judged someone by their appearance? Have you ever looked at someone and said, they couldn't possibly be interested? guilty as charged myself but as indifferent as they may appear I have been shown who showed her God I have been shown that most most of this class are soul-burdened most of this class are soul-burdened there are thousands of rich men who are starving for spiritual food many in official life feel their need of something which they have not few among them go to church for they feel that they receive no benefit The teaching they hear does not touch the soul. Shall we make no personal effort on their behalf? Tuck this idea into your mind because the traditional methods, the way we do church, the way we talk about our faith, they don't get it. That's what Ellen White is saying here. They don't get it. They don't feel it. They don't get it. It's different. It's a different language. It's a different language. And most of these classes are soul-burdened. But we should not let this deter our efforts. Those who stand high in the world for their education, wealth, or calling are seldom addressed personally in regard to the interests of the soul. Many Christian workers hesitate to approach these classes. But this should not be. If a man were drowning, we would not stand by and see him perish because he was a lawyer or a merchant or a judge. If we saw persons rushing over a precipice, We would not hesitate to urge them back, whatever might be their position or calling. Neither should we hesitate to warn men of the peril of the soul. None should be neglected because of their apparent devotion to worldly things. And the key word is apparent. Because she just told us that most are soul-burdened. And so if they don't look soul-burdened, it's merely apparent. Make sense? God has always had these people. And here's a list, starting with Abraham. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Deborah, Samuel, David, Abigail, Solomon, Ezra, Nehemiah, Mordecai, Esther, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar, Elizabeth, Nicodemus, Roman, the Roman centurion, Joanna, Joseph of Meravathea, Paul, Luke, the Ethiopian eunuch, Cornelius, Sergius, Paulus, Lydia, Crispus, and there are more, but I would have had to shrink the font size too much. God has always sought out and had these people in his church as part of his plan. But not only should we do this, we should prioritize this. Check this out. Those who belong to the higher ranks of society are to be sought out with tender affection and brotherly regard. Men in business life, in high positions of trust, men with large inventive faculties and scientific insight, men of genius... Teachers of the gospel whose minds have not been called to the special truths for this time, that means our other Christian brothers and sisters who are not yet in the three angels' message. These should be what? First. Not second, not third, and certainly not last. These should be first to hear the call. To them, the invitation must be given. Have any of you seen this before? Some of you have. Were you surprised? She said that the wealthy, worldly, and well-educated should be the first to hear the gospel message. Totally counterintuitive to the way that we do church today. Am I right? Why? Well, she has a rationale for this. The Lord desires that moneyed men shall be converted and act as his helping hand in reaching others. He desires that those who can help in the work of reform and restoration shall see the precious light of truth and be transformed in character and led to use their entrusted capital to his service. He would have them invest the means that he has lent them in doing good, in opening the way for the gospel to be preached to all classes, nigh and far off. Right, so there's a, there's a, a reason for this. It's not just because Ellen White liked hanging with rich people. Right? Does that make sense? Right. There's a reason for this. One is because they they've got means. They've got, and and we're not just talking about Warren Buffett here, right? We're not just talking about Bill Gates, right? We're talking about people who are in the upper 20 percent, people who have disposable income, right? And the problem with disposable income is that it often gets disposed. But how much better would it be if those people had uh, the love of God in their hearts and would instead invest their entrusted capital to his service? Amen? Beyond that, though, it's not just the means. Altogether, too little effort has been put forth for men in responsible places in the world. Many of them possess superior qualifications. They have means, which we talked about, but they also have influence. These are precious gifts entrusted to them by the Lord to be increased and used for the good of others. It's not just about money. They're also very influential. Seek to save men of wealth and treat them to return to the Lord the treasures he has lent them in trust. That in New York and other great cities there may be established centers of influence from which the Bible truth in its simplicity shall go forth to the people persuade men to lay up their treasures beside the throne of God by returning to the Lord their substance, enabling his workers to do good and to uh, in advance his glory. All right, so it's means and it's influence. The greatest men of this earth are not beyond the power of a wonder-working God. God will convert, amen, God will convert men who occupy responsible positions, men of intellect and influence through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many will accept the divine principles, converted to the truth, Here's the important part. They will become agencies in the hand of God to communicate the light. They will have a special burden for other souls of this neglected class. Time and money will be consecrated to the work of the Lord and new efficiency and power will be added to the church. If you took just, um, it's been a while since I did the math, but if you took Warren Buffett or Bill Gates and you took their total net worth, and you just assumed a tithe out of that total net worth, it would operate the world church for decades. For decades. Not years. Decades. Decades. A billion is a big number. It's a big number. It's just a little B, but it makes all the difference. Mistakes have been made in not seeking to reach ministers and the higher classes with the truth. A fund should be raised to educate men and women to labor for these higher classes. So there's good news there because we can all be educated to work for these people. Amen. God wants men of talent and good minds who can weigh arguments, men who will dig for the truth as for hid treasures. These men will be able to reach not only the common, but the better classes. So if you can reach the wealthy, worldly, and well-educated, what she's saying is you can also reach people who are not in that group. But it doesn't go the other way around. It is a different animal reaching these people. Now, there are similar principles, there are similarities. I don't want to say that uh, no wealthy person can ever be reached by someone who's not in that same circle. But in the main, it's a different animal. There are lots of differences, um, which we'll talk about. Such men will ever be students of the Bible, fully alive to the sacredness of the responsibilities resting upon them. She's talking about the the, the WWWs who are converted will be fully alive to the sacredness of the responsibilities resting upon them. They will give full proof of their ministry. Now we switch gears a little bit. I just talked about the different animal concept. That's not my opinion. The intelligent, the refined, are altogether too much passed by. I love this language. The hook is not baited to catch this class. Isn't that a powerful image? The hook is not baited to catch this class. And ways and methods are not prayerfully devised to reach them with truth that is able to make them wise unto salvation. What is she saying here? She's saying that the conventional or traditional means of evangelism and witnessing that we use today, they don't work for these people. In general, again, there are always exceptions. Most generally, so she's saying most generally, in the main, overall, most generally the fashionable the wealthy, the proud, understand by experience that happiness is not to be secured by the amount of money they possess or by costly edifices or ornamental furniture and pictures. She's saying they know this in their hearts. They know they're barking up the wrong tree. We read earlier, they are soul burden, most of them. They know this. They want something they have not. But this class are attracted toward each other. It is hard to find access to them. The rich left alone without any effort to save them become shut up more and more to their own ideas. Their own train of thoughts and associations lose eternity out of their reckoning. They grow more proud and selfish, hard-hearted and unimpressible, suspicious to your point, suspicious that everyone wants to get money. This is an incredibly powerful statement to me. To me. This is a different breed. We need to approach this in a different way. And it is hard. It is hard work. We're going to read more quotes about this. This is hard work. Some will ask, "Can we not reach them with publications?" I believe in publications. I believe in glow. I believe in the DVDs and the videos that that many ministries are putting out. I believe in all that stuff. But this is not my opinion. There are many who cannot be reached in this way. This is spirit of prophecy. She is saying many cannot be reached in these traditional ways like publications. What do they need? Personal effort. They need, it is personal effort they need. It is by no casual accidental touch. No casual accidental touch that wealthy, world-loving, world-worshipping souls can be drawn to Christ. These people are often the most difficult to access. Personal effort must be put forth for them by men and women, imbued with the missionary spirit. This is important. Those who will not fail or be discouraged. This is hard work. She is saying, if you're going to sign up for this work, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready and willing. You've got to you know, hike up your boots and tighten your belt because... In every effort to reach the higher classes, the worker of God needs strong faith. This is a faith-based work. Appearances may seem forbidding. It's going to look hard. It's going to look forbidding. It's going to look impossible. But in the darkest hour, there is light above. I have had to take this statement to heart many times because in the spiritual conversations that I've had and in the personal Bible studies that I've had with uh, uh, wealthy, worldly, and well-educated, there are many times when I just, in my prayer time in the morning, I say to myself, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I'm making a difference, but I trust in you. Because he has said that I need strong faith, and it will seem per- forbidding, but there is light above, even in that darkest hour. This will require our best efforts. Our best efforts. In order to do this, all workers will have to keep themselves up to a high level of intelligence. And she's not talking about IQ, she's talking about ability, you know, you, you got to have your A-game. you got to bring your A-game. They cannot do this work and sink down to a low common level, feeling that it does not matter much how they labor or what they say, since they are working for the poor and ignorant classes. Now. Let, let me be clear, she is not endorsing this and saying, well, you can bring your C game when you're working for other classes. But she's saying that there is an attitude in the church that, hey, you know what, these people, like, whatever I bring them is better than what they have already, so I'll just bring my C game and it'll just be fine. Does that, does that make sense? Have you, have, have you ever encountered that thinking or then that mentality Right? And you can even see it in your church services. Right? People just, they don't prepare, they kind of waltz in a minute before, if you're lucky, and rush up to the podium to do the offertory appeal, or whatever it is. Right? You've got to bring your A-game. They will have to sharpen up. This isn't me, I didn't write this quote. <laughs> they will have to sharpen up and be armed and equipped in order to present the truth intelligently and to reach the higher classes. Their minds must rise higher and show greater strength and clearness. And you can learn this, because if you couldn't learn this, she wouldn't tell us to be armed and equipped. Right? Instead, she would say, you either got it or you don't. And if you think, if you're wondering if you got it, you don't have it. <laughs> right? You can be armed and equipped, and that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. But we've got to bring our A-game now, that said, some are specially fitted. Some are especially fitted to work for the higher classes. These should seek wisdom from God to know how to reach these people, to, not, to have not a merely casual acquaintance with them, but by personal effort and living faith to awaken in them the needs of the soul, to lead them to a knowledge of truth as it is in Jesus. Right? But I don't think this fitting is about... Um, having degrees and, and so forth what it's about is are you going to bring your A game are you willing to develop your e ga- A game I mean, how many great evangelists do you know people who can have a conversation with anyone talk very intelligently, use big words whatever you want who hadn't even, hadn't even gone to college right? there are those people out there right? it's about your willingness to bring the A game even more important, in order to reach these classes, believers themselves must be living epistles known and read of all men. What does that mean to be a living epistle? Your lifestyle, you have to practice what you're preaching, right? Always be preaching and if necessary, use words, right? And so one of the things we're going to talk about here is you need to be a living epistle. If your lifestyle, and, and someone asked about um, uh, networking events and secular events, if your lifestyle isn't a witness in and of itself, you're, you're not even at the, at the starting line. So we'll talk about all that. So in summary for this section, uh, there are three points I want you to take away. First is, this is a huge mission field. Over 60 million people. This is a mission field the size of a medium-sized country. And it is very difficult. They are the most difficult to reach with the gospel. And it can't be lackadaisical. It needs to be focused effort. It needs to be focused effort for their own salvation and also so they can help. And third, it requires deep personal effort, and our best thinking. And so, the question that you should all be thinking about, this isn't going to be easy, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be, you know, I I, I hate to, I, I don't want to be, I don't want this to come across as being negative on other types of ministry. There are many types of ministry. Many different people are called to different types of ministry. Right? But, This is a very unique, different kind of ministry. And it really needs our best thinking. And it's difficult. And it needs faith. And so, I'm not trying to chase you away either. (laughs) I'm not trying to chase you away. But have these thoughts on your mind as we go through the next couple sessions. About the approach. Because what I'm going to tell you, I, I told you this last night and I'll tell you again. The way that the Lord has shown me how to witness and share with these people is literally as easy as talking to someone about the weather or what their weekend was like. Literally. It is literally that easy. Has anyone ever... Okay, let me ask you an easy question. Any of you ever actually done any witnessing? Tried to talk to someone about their faith? Right? Okay, good. Most of you, most of you. Was it easy or hard? A little bit of both. How, who would say it was more hard than easy? Okay, I'm gonna say 40%. Who says it's more easy than hard? Um, less than that, so maybe it's like 60-40. Well, what I'm going to share with you is going to be easy, easy. <laughs> really easy. I couldn't believe it, but it works. With that. I'd like to ask, uh, we have about five minutes left, I'd like to ask if there are any questions at this point of the pre- presentation. Yes, sir. How do you balance the, you know, acquiring heavenly intelligence and worldly intelligence to maintain your cred- credibility for you know, bosses and coworkers? Yes. So, so uh, you're, you're saying, how do you maintain your credibility with your secular circle of influence um, while still being heaven-oriented? Right? Um, We're going to talk about that, but the short answer is you got to do your best. You got to bring your A game in every facet of your life. And the Lord will show you how to do that. The Lord will show you how to do that. And we will talk about how you do that and some of the choices and decisions that each of us needs to make in order to do that. Thank you. Other questions? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Ministry. I mean, because it's, you know, it's common to think, oh, we're called to go to China. Or, right. How do you know if God's calling you to this kind of ministry? How do you know if God's calling you to this kind of ministry? Um, there are entire seminars about how to know the will of God in your life. <laughs> so I will not do this topic justice. But what I will say is this. Um, you remember the Wordleberry vision, early on in this presentation. You'll remember the contrast she made between what she had done and what the others had done. And one of the contrasts she made was, I was looking nearby and found all these beautiful waterberries. You guys went far off and found low-quality ones, if any. Right? And so she is clearly making a statement there, and I think Jesus Christ made a statement there. Right? You shall go Uh, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Right? So, Jesus also set up a principle. Start where you're at, and then work outward from there. If the only place that you're a witness is some place that you need a passport to get to, I would propose that that's a problem. I would suggest to you that that is a problem. And so what I would say to your question is, um, just the fact that you're here, at least suggests to me, that there is an aspect of this ministry that you are ready for. That's why you're here. You're not here by coincidence. Even the fact that you got <laughs> overflowed out of David Asherick's seminar next door. Do you think that was a coincidence? So, that's what I would say about that. And we have time for a couple more questions. Other question? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, great question, great question. Um, We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about how to witness, how to awaken need, how to awaken curiosity. So we're gonna touch on that very much. But I would go back to uh, what Ellen White said as a preview. Um, There shall be no pushing, sharp contention, but leading their minds out to investigate. That that just uh, as a foreshadow of what we're gonna talk about. Yes. Um in your quote there's one group that may not seem to fit in with worldly and um wealthy but maybe well educated, and that's the ministers of yes. that appears to be of other debate. Yes. If I'm not wrong in history, Adventists did talk. about hmm Yeah, I don't know. Is there any... I, mean, I don't know if you have that as part of your... I, I, I would, would just... A in is that you're... Yeah, no, so I'm not... This, this, the question is, uh, what about ministers of other denominations and, and witnessing to them? And this, this presentation is not going to address that specifically, but you could probably think of them as part of the well-educated. But they are pro- they're probably a different breed in and of themselves because they know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We have time for one more question. I'll just go in the back, and then uh, feel free to approach me, and we've got a couple more sessions to go, so uh, we're still here together for a while. Yes, sir. You're talking about unconverted WWWs within our own church. Yes. yes. You should, will you be here for Sabbath plenary at 2 p.m? Okay, I'll be giving my testimony there, and I think you'll find it insightful. But because I was one of those people. I was one of these highly educated WWWs sitting within our church, um, serving as an elder, in fact, but completely heart-unconverted. We'll talk about that, we'll talk about that. I think a lot of the similar principles apply here, but but, but um, we'll talk about that. All right, we, I want to let you guys have a full break. So I think we have a 15-minute break now, is that correct? Um, while, while, during the break, though, I would appreciate it if One of the things I'm trying to do is build a database of, that sounds really Google NSA. What I meant to say was, (laughs) I'd like to find, could you hand these out? Would you mind handing the? would you mind just passing these out? Thank you. Uh, If you are interested in this type of ministry, I'd love for you to fill out some information. Um, Thank you. I'd love for you to fill out some information and uh, just let me know who you are. I'm working with Bonders and Campus, who you might be familiar with uh, out of Michigan. They are creating ministries to address the professional class, and we're trying to build just a knowledge of who else is out there who has passion and interest in learning more and uh, being equipped and so forth. So if you wouldn't mind, I would really appreciate it if you would fill out this, um, this response sheet that we're passing around. I hope we have enough. And then um, check the appropriate boxes. The bottom of it, you can detach. Because uh, after this is all said and done, I'm going to post the materials at uh, Campus and Bonder's website. So so, uh, you can detach that bottom for your own reference. And we'll take it from there. So thank you very much. Please fill those out. And uh, what to do. Can someone stand by the door and collect them for me? Um, Thank you, sir. Uh, hand them to the the young man in the black jacket with his hand raised as you go out and um, I hope you come back because we haven't gotten to the practical stuff yet but but, but we will if you want easy ways to witness this is where it's at alright so thank you very much and we'll see you in at the top of the hour is that when we start again Okay. thank you the top of the hour we'll start again this message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.